she passed away during uh, 2020, but the last four years we had together were the best four years. So the fact that she and I had had kind of became friends is really what it was. We just mm. became friends. And we got to share this particular experience together, you know, in the construct of our new relationship just made it even, even that much more special. And my mom loved Haymakers, what you guys do and, and the impact you have, not just the money that's raised, but you've made my mom's everything. From Haymakers for Hope, this is not every fight ends at the bell. Haymakers for Hope exists to knock out cancer the only way we know how. Fighting for a cure through charity boxing. Thanks to generous supporters and more than 1,200 ass-kicking do-gooders, Haymakers has raised over $25 million for cancer research, care, awareness, and survivorship. But the March Towards a Cure continues long after the last bell of each event. I'm Julie Kelly. I'm Todd Buster Paris. We know firsthand because we are not just your hosts, we are also survivors. On this podcast, we will highlight the stories of fighters, survivors, organizations, and supporters. Not every fight ends at the bell. Round one. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and thanks for your support. Today, we are joined by Brian Braveheart Wallace. (laughs) Thanks for being here today, Brian. Thank you guys for having me. Now, Brian, you're an alumni from Hope NYC, I believe it's seven? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. From 2018. 2018. Okay. How did you learn about Haymakers? Gosh, I think it was like in 2013, a friend of mine participated. There's a a group of us that all played on a a rec league football team here in New York. And uh, my buddy Lou Miller went first. I think it was 2013. And his brother, Evan Miller, was in 2014. I think there's a little brotherly competition there. Lou won by a unanimous and Evan won by a split. So there was a little uh, little back and forth of that. But um, I got into boxing kind of shortly thereafter for fitness. And then actually I took some time off in between uh, two jobs that I had, did some traveling. And when I came back, another buddy of mine had competed, John Halverson. And he was like, oh, Wallace, you're in good shape now. You're doing haymakers. Uh, I'm going to sponsor you. So you're doing it. And I'm like... Okay. <laughs> yes. You know, I had been to a couple of the matches, so I, you know, I had seen it, but I didn't really understand the commitment or really what I was getting myself into. But knowing that, um, you know, it was, it's obviously, it's, it's an amazing event. It's for a great cause. And so I kind of, I was basically told I was doing it. <laughs> it's really kind of how it goes out. I want to back up a little bit to that. <laughs> so you're doing boxing for fitness. And then, because that's a big step from fitness and then all of a sudden making that sort of leap into sparring and into fighting and into competing. Yes. How did that happen from Halvo? It can be very encouraging, I will say. When we started talking about it, you know, again, I had seen it, but we started talking about what the commitment level was like. Quite honestly, I have never been in a fight in my entire life. I have never thrown a punch at anybody. I've never been punched by anybody. So that was to me kind of the most intimidating thing was now like going to, you know, work train fight or going to rumble or going to title and just kind of doing a bag workout is very different than actually getting punched in the face. <laughs> right. So that was a definite big transition from kind of the fitness activity to like, say the first time I got in a ring and was sparring. That was very eye opening experience for me. Getting in, having never been hit or never thrown a punch in your life. There's a lot of fear there. 
I didn't grow up fighting, but I had some tumbles. But like girls, it is a fear. And you speak, you had this really great blog that I reread recently, and you talked about fear. And there is that fear of sort of the unknown and fighting. But also you mentioned fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. Was that something initially when you first, when you first, when Halvo, um, what is it? Convincing? Is that, is that the word you used <laughs> yeah, to describe right. him? He's in sales. Um, <laughs> you know, was that something that, you know, had an impact or like you thought about in, outside of getting punched and punching someone else? Was there that fear of judgment? Yeah, no, absolutely. I would say, I don't think I'm alone in having that be something that, you know, this comes up in, in often in, in one's life, just this, this fear of judgment, but in every other sport I've played, and you know, from basketball to football to track to volleyball, you know, you are one of five, one of seven, one of eleven. This is one of one, right? And and again, having been to these events, I know what it's like. You know, there's two thousand people watching you. So not only was there, you know, a natural fear of just getting in the ring and getting hit, the fear kind of manifested itself in in sort of many different shapes kind of throughout my journey like at the very beginning it was just like fear oh what did i get myself into <laughs> you know i've just i've just signed up for four months of really intense training something i've never done in my entire life what if i fail then it was fear of i remember the first time i walked into mendez and everyone there just looked so smooth right and, and it's so polished and they're doing cool jump roping tricks and they're just beating the sh- heck out of these bags and i'm like they're gonna look at me like i'm some poser that's showing up in their church essentially and i don't belong there and so i'm worried about just that aspect of of sort of being judged by what i consider to be these like really awesome boxers and here's you know me this guy that's in in advertising sales just kind of showing up then there's just this natural like okay I'm, i'm going through my journey the fear of getting in the ring and sparring right that sucks because not only again i didn't particularly enjoy getting punched in the face but my other natural reaction let's just say i did everything right and like the training kicked in and I, I slipped a punch and I, I, you know, countered and I connected. My first instinct is always like, Oh no, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> you know, like my fear of actually hurting somebody. Then the, obviously the, the, the grand finale is getting in the ring and just like, I have, you know, a cheering section of like 200 people that are just chanting my name and, and have donated and have been following along my journey and been reading my blog and just like the fear of losing, you know, just the fear of losing and letting them down, which wouldn't have been the case. That's not the right way to frame it, but just, I didn't, I didn't want to, to lose, you know? So I was really scared of embarrassing myself, you know, in front of all these people. I find people have approached me that want to do haymakers and everyone has that fear. Even seasoned fighters have that fear. It's just part of boxing. How did you get over that initial fear of even just showing up to the gym and working side by side with someone who has, you know, who's slick and has all those skills and in their church? How did you get over that fear? Quite honestly, the community could not have been more welcoming. That was kind of overcoming fear one was, you know, I'm terrified of looking like an idiot in here and just pick any guy in there that I was like, man, this guy's a real good boxer. Five minutes later, he's coming up, introducing himself to me and kind of taking me through some pointers and giving me some tips. And everyone in that gym from the like the tiny five-year-old that's, you know, doing shadow boxing and, and he's going to be amazing someday to the oldest grizzled trainers that are in there could not have been a lovelier group of people. So I just felt like I was part of that church from day one. Just the fact that I walked down those stairs, you know, they, that was my initiation and they accepted me and then brought me into that fold. And so that really kind of helped get over that fear of that, that initial fear of judgment. And it's, you know, it's still crept in from time to time, but 
honestly, it was just the people. Anyone that gets into the boxing community, like they are just the most lovely group of humans because everybody has stepped into a ring now, right? And they know what it's like. They know what you're going to feel like, and they can kind of help you get through that. Tell us a little bit about your athletic background, because I know that you were a volleyball player prior to this, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in high school, I did you know pretty much you know, all the sports that, that you do in high school, you know, football, basketball, and track um, for me. And then I switched into playing volleyball when I was in college. So that's been kind of my, my primary sport for the past 25 or so years. But again, I, one of the beauties of New York is just the, the way you kind of randomly meet your best friends. And I ended up playing on this, this football team that, again, I think there's five of us that have now competed in Haymakers. Blondies is still undefeated. We'll throw that out there. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it's primarily been volleyball and football for the past, you know, 10 years. And I've um, yeah now, now found this love for boxing as well. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I came from. Cool. Are you still in the gym? Uh, boxing? Yeah. I'm actually going to be there at two o'clock today. There's a new, right. a new one that opened up here in Williamsburg. And honest to God, though, like just started going to this new one a couple of weeks ago with a trainer. And that same thing. I'm like, man, here's all these cool guys that are hitting the bag that look like they know what they're doing. And I'm this outsider again. But like minute one, people kept coming. Hey, how are you doing? I'm so-and-so. Hey, I'm doing it. Like, you know, um, again, just so like, it's funny how that, that comes back and then just goes away as well. I'm not sparring because, again, I don't like getting punched in the face. So it's a lot more just trying to keep keep my skills sort of sharp. But, uh, yeah, you know, so it's, it's such a good workout. I mean, that's the other aspect of boxing. Take all the, you know, the mental game out of it. I mean, it is the best workout you can get. So I'm trying to stay in shape using, uh, using this something I actually enjoy. Brian, let's talk a little bit about so this specific Haymakers fight and getting ready for Haymakers. You had mentioned in your, because I've read your blog as well, and you had mentioned that about the week before your match, something was going on with your corner. And for those listening, your corner is usually your coach and another trainer. And they, you know, in the movies, when you come back to your corner in between rounds, they give you water and they wipe off the sweat and all of that. So something was happening the week before your fight regarding your corner. Yeah. So it's funny the way the universe works. So when I, First uh, came back from traveling and I started going to a boxing gym. I met a trainer named Roe and he was at a boxing gym here in Brooklyn. And then when I signed up for Haymakers, I realized that he was actually working at Mendez as well. So I reached back out to him. I was like, hey man, I'm, I'm signed up for this fight. Would you mind you know, training me? And so when I went down there to meet him, Roe was like, hey, like I'm happy to kind of help out. But I think you know, for this type of fight, you should really be with someone that's been here and done this. So he introduced me to Harry. So I worked with with uh, this coach named Harry for, you know, essentially the, the whole time for four months. He's been at the gym more hours than than most. He's just this this old awesome guy. I imagine like, you know, could have been the coach in Rocky. Just funny, had a quip for everything. You know, I remember, yeah, hey, come on, Brian, you can't cook nothing with cold grease. You know, just like it was just like the, <laughs> he was such a just a really good 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 man and um you know pushed me pushed me but had so much boxing knowledge too so that it wasn't just about just running and throw a bunch of punches but really trying to understand the beauty of the sport the philosophy of the sport and so you know just really kind of you know taking that as well as the skills that he you know instilled in me over those four months you know during sparring and you know just kinda, again trying to like, hey this guy is you know kind of holding his hands up go for the body you know just like little of those tips and tricks but a couple weeks before the fight uh, you know, Harry is, is also a boxing coach for some, you know, professional fighters. 
And uh, he had to leave that weekend of Haymakers to be with one of his fighters uh, at a fight in Kansas. So he wasn't going to be there for my fight. And, you know, I was, I was pretty bummed out by that just because, like, we were a team for these past four months. And I really wanted, you know. Brian, sorry. To, I, I would have to say that's I could imagine from what I've read, you had to have been more than just a little bummed out. That's a big deal when, you know, you become almost soulmates of sorts some when you're training for a fight there's a closeness in a relationship that develops that's just there's a bond there yeah and then to have that just you know kind of broken or stripped away that's got to be incredibly hard how did that feel no it was it was it was very hard because there's there's on, on a few different levels too like you said he's he's my friend now and all of a sudden i'm not just listening to him as a coach but I want to win this fight for him also, right? Mm -hmm. I want to make him proud. I want him to see me use all these skills that he's given me for the, you know, the past four months. I wanted to give him a giant hug, you know, in this thing. I mean, we were on this quest together. Mm. And so, yeah, I was, I was, I was pretty bummed out and I, I could tell, you know, kind of something was up. He was, you know, kind of asking if I've ever been to Kansas. <laughs> I'm like, I guess I've been to Kansas. I was like, I know, I know what's coming. He's like, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to be able to, but, but Roe, the guy that I started this whole thing with that introduced me to Harry offered to kind of finish this out for me. And, um, you know, again, it was just, it, I think it was meant to be, you know, it was, it's kind of this, this full circle nature of uh, nature of this journey that I was on. And, you know, whereas, you know, Harry was so much of, um, like an old school coach, you know, just again, from years and years and years of being around the ring, Roe had, had a lot more kind of the mental aspect to it. Again, just staying sharp, more breath work, just taking again the physical tools and adding this mental style to it, which you know I think really did kind of end the training and in a way that really prepared me for the fight, you know. And then he was, of course, in my corner as well. Ro was during my fight, and hey, I want to win one for him too. So let's go do it. And you know, Ro and I and and Andy, who was uh, you know wrapped me up, you know, still in touch on on the socials, and um, I just think it's this the the universe kind of doing what it was meant to do. And that was just part of the journey too. It was this one huge final hurdle, you know, that, that came out of nowhere that just another just massive test after I've just put, you know, four months on hold. They're like, Hey, by the way, we got something else for you. <laughs> go, go climb this mountain too, before you get in the ring and then see how you do. Yeah. You just used the word quest, which you mentioned also in your blog. And I thought it was such a powerful word for you to use. And I think it's important for us to talk about that time off that you took from work and just your travels and just what seemed to almost be a little bit of a spiritual awakening that I think probably set a really strong foundation for you to see this entire journey quest through. <laughs> so if you would just tell us a little bit about that time off and what you did with your, your travels and experienced. Yeah, it was the New York advertising sales guys version of eat, pray, love. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, what I'd realized is I had, I had spent, you know, 10 straight years in New York. I love the city. It's home to me, but also you can kind of get sort of stuck in a pattern. I was stuck in a pattern and uh, I wasn't necessarily feeling my healthiest, um, again, both physically or mentally. There's, you know, in my industry, there's a lot of late nights and a lot of like, drinks and a lot of steak dinners and all these things. And, you know, I, I kind of felt like I just really needed to, to break that cycle and, and I needed to do it in somewhat of a drastic way. And so I kind of shaped the beginning part of my travels as well around health and wellness retreats, mental uh, health and wellness retreats, right? So both, um, you know, boot camp type excursions, as well as, 
you know, yoga and meditation uh, excursions, I found myself deep in the jungles of Peru, hanging out with shamans and trying to kind of really get in touch with my hardcore inner self, you know, and so it really just became this long sequential, this, that was a, a quest as well, right? To, I needed to, I felt like get to know myself and re kind of fall in love with myself, learn to trust myself. That was a big word that kept coming up over and over again for me. It was trust because I did, I have, a, I carry around a lot of fear. The fear of judgment wasn't something that just showed up in boxing. It is throughout my entire life. And that was something I was really aiming to try to get to know better, right? I don't think it's about changing that. You know, it's, I think something that you're born with is something that you're born with and you can't just kind of cut off the parts that you don't like necessarily, but what you can do is get to know those parts, right? So when they do start to come up, you know, you're friends with it and, and you, it doesn't control you and you don't control it, but it just, it just is. And so that's kind of, I think one of the biggest things I took from my little vision quest out in the world into the boxing ring is this notion that like, I have everything I need inside me to succeed. And I just have to trust that when the time is right, that stuff will be there for me. I can't force it. I can't make something happen. But you know, when I'm in that boxing ring and I see a punch coming at me, I've just got to trust that I'm going to know what to do. And I'm going to trust that you know, this whole experience is going to be something that you know, I can do. Even in those moments where I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. But again, just getting good foundation from a health perspective, right? I, I think I left when I was I left my travels, I was 215 pounds and I came back at, you know, 180. Wow. You guys asked me to fight at 175 and I totally overshot the runway there and I checked in at 171, which I don't think I've weighed since my I junior year that. in high school. And, um, you know, so taking that, that good foundation of physical fitness that I have gotten back into and then adding that, that mental of, or that the element of mental fitness and, you know, again, just being able to stay calm, being able to, again, deal with those inner demons in a way that I really hadn't before allowed me to just kind of frame this experience in a different way. You have such a nonchalant way of describing <laughs> such an amazing journey. I mean, you know, just the things that you've done, the things that you went through on this journey, just they're incredible. The things that you've discovered, those are incredible things that people, it takes lifetimes to figure out and discover. And that's really remarkable. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So let's sort of diverge now and talk a little bit about fight night. <laughs> First of all, it was a fantastic fight. I think your, the trunks that everyone wore were probably a, the worst trunks that I've ever seen, which I hope I'm not out of line saying so. They were terrible. So they weren't trunks. They were Lululemon shorts. Ah, well, that explains that. Not constructed to accommodate a groin protector. Yeah. And, <laughs> no. And I, and I think I think mine were an extra medium. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all the pictures from the waist up look really good. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but what was really interesting, so Brian, it's funny because the way that you fought is sort of the way you tell your stories. You were very relaxed, you were incredibly poised. In the beginning, there was a knockdown in round one, <laughs> and which, by the way, to me, did not look like a knockdown. It looked like a, a slip. So I'm not sure it was from a punch. Anyway, what were you feeling at that moment? The most terrified I've ever felt in my entire life. Tell me a little bit more about that. Oh, I just get goosebumps thinking about that moment. <laughs> um, so the fight night itself, I don't know if, if, uh, if you remember, but there was a massive snowstorm 
that day in New York. Oh, yeah. Wow. The event was a little bit later to start. People weren't able to get to the venue. So, and I think I was fight number 13. So I was already going to be pretty much later in the night. So, you know, we checked in, I want to say at like 4.45 for, for weigh-in. And then I had like essentially six hours to kill, you know, just alone with my thoughts. You know, I, had, I brought my journal that I had when I was traveling and, you know, you don't want to get warmed up too early, but I mean, there was a, there was a lot of, of time just for me to think about these six minutes you know, that were going to be happening, you know, not too long from now. And you kind of see everyone kind of get ready in their different ways. And, you know, again, Ro had you know, given me some coaching, just like, you know, just take it easy, just try to relax, you know, start warming up maybe an hour before three, you know, four or five fights before your fight, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's showtime, you know, I've got my robe on, you know, Ro and, and, and Andy are there with me. I'm, I'm all gloved up and I'm walking into the ring. You know, my last name is Wallace. So Braveheart became, you know, the song that I walked into. And, you know, the minute I step in, I just have this, this crowd of people just chanting Wallace, Wallace. And it was just like straight out of the movie. So I'm just feeling like so jacked up, but at the same time, really trying to like stay, stay calm, keep my heart rate down, which, you know, is not easy when you step into a boxing ring with, you know, again, a couple thousand people watching, but we've been training for this. We, Greg and I had sparred at the halfway point. So I kind of, I knew at least a little bit about, you know, what I was getting into with him, but yeah, like 20 seconds in my feet get tangled up and, and I'm, I'm down to the ground and then the ref puts me in the corner and starts giving me a standing eight count. And I'm like, Oh, this is not going the way I thought this was supposed to go. <laughs> you know, I could feel every pair of eyes in that uh, arena, like just staring at me I'm like, this is it. This is where you know, just for four months I'm, I'm going to be done in round one and, and all my friends are watching and everybody's watching and the account was over and I hear the Wallace chant get going again. I'm like, nice, big, deep breath. I'm like, all right, that's just one more thing. The universe has just put in right my way. <laughs> We're gonna, okay. You're not going to have your coach. And by the way, you're going to get like knocked down 20 seconds into the ring and have all these fear. I mean, this was the longest eight seconds of my life too. I mean, I was the longest conversation with myself about, Hey, like, just relax. You know, you didn't get hit. I don't think I got hit. I don't know that, that, that there's a lot of that matches is, is blacked out. You're sort of lost in the moment because you've got several things going here. You're questioning, did I get hit? I don't think. And then you've got all the eyes on you. This is a hard moment to come back from. I swear my chest is so tight. Just like thinking about this moment, <laughs> right? Like, yes, but, it is. It's, 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 but I, I can, I know that feeling so well. I will never forget that moment. I will never forget that feeling. And it's like breadcrumbs right back to that tension, that stress, that uneasiness, that anxiety. And I was just like, you know what? Forget this, man. You got this. Get it was a fantastic turnaround. Most people you can crumble during a moment like that. There's a lot of weight there. And rightly so. It's like, you, you know, you don't fault anyone for the rest of that round having a shitty round. <laughs> and then second round, okay, come back to you have a new moment. You in at the, the rest of that round started to turn things around. It was really, that's hard to do. Then in round two is when you got sort of payback. So how did that feel when the tables were turned and you gave him that standing eight? Honestly, man, what I do remember was, was Ro had said, don't throw a lot of punches in round one to feel it out with your jab, but don't gas yourself because the more anxious you are, the more the, your, your strength and your energy is going to run quick. So save it for round two and definitely save it for round three. But at the end of round one, I think I finished with a pretty good, you know, kind of flurry of, of not the prettiest looking punches, I wouldn't say, <laughs> but I think I remembered how to box in between round one and round two. 
so yeah, coming into round two, you know, bro, between the rounds, like, hey man, like you lost that round, so you gotta you gotta show the judges something right now because technically he's like, I didn't think you got knocked down either, but that's what they saw. You finished the round strong. Now it's time to take off the training wheels. Just get into it. And, uh, you know, I think that for round two for me was like, you know, the beginning we were really kind of trading blows right now. We were kind of both starting to settle in a little bit. We weren't just like running out quote unquote throwing haymakers, but we were boxing a little bit. And, uh, I was actually a little bummed because like <laughs> the first time I did knock him down, she didn't give him a standing eight count. She was like, got him up and he was off and running again. I, I'd ran to a corner. I was all excited to like have eight seconds off. Right. Nope. Up he was. And we were going again. But, um, you know, I do, <laughs> I rewatched the tape. I've, there's probably, I don't know, like maybe five or 600 views on YouTube and, you know, four to 500 of them are me. <laughs> so <laughs> I watched it. When I knocked him down. I was like, yeah. And I just felt like, like, honestly, like proud of myself. And I just felt, I felt like I just, okay, finally, I've got, I've done something right. Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. And then I remember I got him with an uppercut and she stopped him for a standing eight. And then, uh, I caught him right again towards the end of the round for a second standing eight. And again, just looking back at the video of the fight, you know, I go to my neutral corner. I got my legs crossed. I'm just like, I'm, I'm feeling pretty, pretty relaxed back there. My, my very short shorts, you know, exposing my very white legs in the middle of November. <laughs> but I, you know, as, as I look at myself and I'm like, you know, I, I feel like I'm kind of casual and relaxed over there, but I look at my chest. If you go back and watch that video, my chest is heaving. Like my breath is coming so hard. And I'm like, holy cow, I, I remember kind of feeling relaxed there, but like it was, it was just so intense, you know, in those moments. And yeah, the second round, I was like, all right, I'm starting to feel like I got this. And I was, I just really felt like I was getting stronger. And uh, I could kind of tell like he was maybe kind of starting to, because he threw a lot of punches in the first round. So I think like he was kind of starting to lose a little steam and I was kind of starting, starting to, to finally make my way up. Yeah. You two were matched up very well. You just, your uppercut just found a home. Um, and I think that was really the, different factor there. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented by Haymakers for Hope. To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, to sign up to be one of our ass-kicking do-gooders, visit haymakersforhope.org. Round two. Tell us about what was the most special part on fight night for you? Two things. I won't discount the fact that I really enjoyed winning. (laughs) That was just... I've said it a million times. Anyone who talks about haymakers, it's like, it's not about whether you're going to lose. It's just getting in the ring. But there was this side part for me where I just really wanted to like see this thing all the way through. And for me, that meant winning this fight. But the whole reason I did the fight was for my mom, who at the time was a 20 year cancer survivor. She had flown out for that. And just when the fight was done, I finally won. I had this you know massive wave of, relief and exhaustion and just emotion just like like i ran up to the to the stage or to the stands to find you know mom you know all my friends were there and they're like just so stoked for me like i the support i had through throughout the training was incredible but that night too i mean just like overpouring showing of love and but like where the hell is my mom at like i really need to find her and she was just so much anxiety she had to run outside to smoke a cigarette so i found her out on the uh out on the the sidewalk and i mean the the hug that we shared at that moment, I mean, we're both just bawling. That was the most special thing was, was doing this for her and, and kind of seeing it through and then finding her. So that was also the, that moment, one moment I'll never forget. I've just got to ask. So your mother's a 20 year cancer survivor at this point and she's still smoking. Listen, you can't tell uh, someone from Long Island what to do. <laughs> I know that after some of my, when I was going through treatment, 
after some of my uh, MRIs, I would, at the time, didn't smoke. But during these moments, I would ask, I'd bum a cigarette from somebody. Yeah. And then for some reason, it was just the thing to do after every cancer recheck. It was stupid, but something that I did. It was, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's, I guess that's how that she wanted to, needed to relax and calm yeah. her nerves, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was special. That's nice. The picture of the two of you outside the, um, hammer scene with your arms and with each of you kind of, you've got one arm around each other and the other arm they're up in the, up in the yeah. air is like my favorite picture. You two look so cute. <laughs> it's such a great, great photo. Your mom was a hot ticket. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about your mom, about your uh, sort of the connection to the cause. So clearly it would be from your mom. Mm. I know that you had mentioned that your mom came to visit you at Mendez. What was that like? Yeah, that was also really cool because it was because um, Harry was still there. Uh, he hadn't left yet. So like at least she got to meet him, even if she wouldn't get to, to see him the night of the fight. So that was really special because, again, Harry, you know, had a brother, a friend, a coach, you know, all like in a, such a short period of time, but, you know, was such an important part of this story that I really wanted my mom to be able to meet him throughout the training. Like we'd, we'd finish a, a session and we'd, we'd FaceTime each other and, you know, Harry would say hi, mom would say hi back. And, you know, so having mom come and like, you know, see this gritty, no way around it, kind of smelly boxing gym, right. That just smells like boxing and, uh, you know, having her come in and like experience this, this place that I spent the better part of four months just in it. If you've ever been inside like an actual boxing gym, you can't really understand what it is. And you have to be there. You have to see it. You have to see the people. You have to smell it, like to really kind of understand, you know, what, what goes on there. And you know, for mom to come and, and kind of see that was was really special too. And get to meet, you know, not just Harry, but you know, some of the the people I had been training with, some of the people I had been sparring with, you know, they've they kind of knew why I was doing this. And, you know, I was my mom's, you know, number one fan. So they of course knew you know, who she was and, and, and why. And so, she, I mean, she thought that was very special too, to get to spend some time in the gym. So while we're still talking about your mom, who I was lucky enough to spend some time with, I was like, we, we met and it was like, we had known each other before. It was a very weird, like kind of cosmic connection. Just talk to us, tell us a little bit about her and what made her so special. <laughs> I mean, I know it and I want everybody else to know it. Yeah. What, um, you know, what made my mom so special? I just think she just she could talk to anyone and she would instantly make you, like you said, feel like you've known her for, you know, years and years and years and years. Um, she just had these, just, just great twinkle in her eye that, um, it would, would just light up a room. She was just loving and caring and, and, and selfless and, and giving, you know, but what I, you know, the, the part of the, the, time away from work quest we didn't talk about yet was just really kind of how that also made me see my mom in a whole new way and get to know her in a whole new way and really just understand that life you know might not have been what she wanted it to be you know and and i had you know blamed her for a lot of what i thought went wrong in my life i had you know judged her for what you know she did this or she did that never realizing that you know and we're the same age now. And meanwhile, she's trying to go through life, you know, as a single mom with, with two kids that, you know, were not, maybe not the easiest to raise. And I realized kind of when I was gone and, and traveling that like, whereas I had blamed her for everything in my life, I never really once said thank you. And kind of in that, that time away from work, I came to that realization and, and I was able to kind of share, you know, that with her. And from that moment on, our relationship was completely different. So, you know, she passed away during uh, 2020, 
but the last four years we had together were the best four years of the you know the time that we had ever had you know on this time so the fact that she she and i had had kind of so became friends is really what it was we just mm-hmm. became friends and and we got to share this particular experience together you know in the construct of our new relationship just made it even even that much more special and you know julie like i mean you know my, my mom absolutely loved you she loved haymakers you know i gotta i just gotta just shout out to anyone listening that um this team is such an awesome team like you guys and what you guys do and, and what you know the impact you have not just you know the money that's raised but you've made my mom's everything you know she nice enough to send my mom a haymaker sweatshirt and like a hat you know and all of a sudden, like I'm out of the picture. Julie and my mom are texting each other. <laughs> you know? um, we were we were happy to be walking around the Lower East Side when when Julie and the family were at McSorley's after the fight, and they graciously invited us to to come in and and, and join. And you know, there again, my mom is in the middle of the whole thing, just holding court. You know, just she knows everyone. She's chatting up everybody. Um, it was just a very, I mean, as, as special as Haymakers is to me, it was equally if not more special you know for her and that's just a testament to everybody that's that's in the organization there she definitely became part of the family really quick actually we had some um pints or whatever eight ounce beers or whatever <laughs> at McSorley's together and she just there was this like soul sisterhood that just happened and I sent her a sweatshirt and a in a um, hat and she sent me a note back and I actually still have it because I save like little things like that so I still have that note <laughs> but I think was so cool is that she came back and she was a ring card warrior which was truly incredible and I remember her being <laughs> so nervous <laughs> so nervous to do it and then once she got in there it was like she had been waiting for that moment her entire life <laughs> and the crowd went crazy. Um, so Brian, tell us a little bit about her being a ring card warrior on event night. I have, I have never seen my mom that happy and present in a moment and you nailed it. She was so nervous, so nervous. You know, she had come out, this is the year after I fought 2019 and I had been home a few weeks before back in Seattle and uh, you know, the Julie and the crew had asked if, you know, mom wanted to do this. So I, I videotaped me asking her, I was like, Hey, we want you to be a ring card. And so we, she's like, wow. Oh gosh, that's so exciting. Uh, thank you, Julie. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Andrew. You know, it's like, she was, um, you know, initially just very, just like, you know, honored to come out because I, I wanted her to come out for the fight. And so I don't know if you know this, but like two nights before she like turned her ankle, like on my balcony and could barely walk. I remember <laughs> like, her mentioning could, barely walk. I'm, I'm like, you know, holding her arm as she's shuffling around the streets of New York. And now she's like, I've got to go in and, and do this, this ring car thing. Like, I don't know if I can do it. And this is funny. Like the parallels of like this fear of judgment. Like, I don't know if I can just do this thing. I don't know if I can do this thing. I'm like, mom, you're going to be fine. Like literally you are a, you're a cancer survivor. Like you just have to wave to people and you're going to get a lot of applause. Like you, there's not a lot of like you know, stuff that you have to do here. And I remember when we got to the to the arena, we had stopped at a TGI Fridays right next door, and we had. A, I'm like, "All right, mom, you can have one beer. We'll, we'll, we'll have we'll we'll celebrate after you're done, but like one for now." And then when we get to the thing, I'm like, "That was the, the exact opposite approach I should have taken. <laughs> should have had like three to get a little more relaxed." But um, and I remember she was on the agenda for like fight number one, fight number seven, and fight number thirteen. And she's like, 
uh, I don't think I can do three. Is it okay if I just do the, the first one and get it over with? And, you know, Julie was like, of course, I mean, whatever you need, like, it's all good. I'm off to the side and I see her get in and she's got her, her, her little shirt on and in between rounds one and two, she gets in and she's, you know, I can't remember what song was playing, but she just kind of like a, a quick walk around the wing, but like, you know, she's, she's holds up the, the, the two card and kind of sort of gets in and then kind of gets out. And then, um, you know, the fight picks up and then in between rounds two and three, I mean, I don't know what happened in that two minute time frame, but she is dancing and grooving. And I think Biggie was playing. I want to say it was hypnotized and she just I'm couldn't sure it was. <laughs> to the point where she was still getting out of the ring when the bell rang and these fighters were going, I'm like, mom, get out. You're, you're, and she's waving to the crowd and oh, yeah. dancing and shaking. And I'm like, mom out time to go. <laughs> like, so it was just like, and the, the photos that you guys got, of her in that moment are just so beautiful. Like just, just captured her in her element. And, and it's like, we've got them. My sister and I have those, that photo framed everywhere in our house. It just, it's just such a beautiful memory of, of that night. And that was, you know, October or rather November of 2019. And, you know, we found out that she was going back into the hospital six months later and mm-hmm. she was, she was gone 10 months later. But that moment for her, I know seeing me win or seeing me fight, was the highlight of her, you know, haymakers, but a very close second was her just dancing around that ring with that number three card. And it's just such a beautiful video that, uh, that I've got. I do still watch, you know, all the time. Yeah. That was special. She worked <laughs> that, she worked that crowd. Oh, she did. Oh yeah. <laughs> and she earned her McSorley's the, uh, the she day. did. Yes. <laughs> we acted up the next day, but that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Not every fight ends at the bell is presented by haymakers for hope. Did you know there's more to haymakers than just boxing? We also have opportunities for you to lace up your sneakers and run a marathon with Team Haymakers. Or grab your clubs and play in one of our golf tournaments. Visit haymakersforhope.org for more. Round three. If you could tell someone who's about to embark on this four-month boxing journey, if you could tell them just one thing, what would you tell them? Ooh. Man, one thing. There's so many things I need to tell this person. Um, <laughs> first thing is, it's it will be one of, if not the most important things you ever do, and I, I truly believe that. I know 20 years from now, I'm going to look back and say, like, that's if it's not number one, it's still top three. So it's also not something to be entered into lightly, right? You've got to take it seriously, and it's 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 hard. Like it really, really is hard. And the you that you find on the other side or that you meet on the other side of it, is a very different person, but it's hard. (laughs) The one thing I really enjoyed reading about was the night before your fight that you had that steam room revelation. Hmm. And I was wondering if you'd care to just quickly touch on that, the steam room revelation. We talked a little bit about the, the travels that I have done. And, you know, as I was sitting in that, in that, the steam room, every individual memory came back and hit me at once. And, you know, I said, I went to Peru, I was in Bali, I went to Everest, to base camp, I climbed Kilimanjaro, I backpacked around New Zealand. I mean, all this stuff I would never have done in my life. Like this, I was not an outdoorsy guy. I literally was a New York beer pong playing chicken wing eating bro. Next thing I know, I'm at an ashram in Nepal, <laughs> you know, learning yoga and, and meditation. And all those little bits and pieces I hadn't put together, like 
kind of the why. Why did I find myself in Nepal? And, and when I was going and traveling, it was more just like, <laughs> oh, I just going to flip a coin and figure out where to go next. And in that moment, I realized that like everything I had done was precursor to this. And I, you know, when I finished my, you know, quote unquote, finished my travels, that was in February of 2018 is when I came back, you know, to the US and got a job again and began working again. And I kind of like, you know, I wrote a whole blog on my travels there too. And I kind of thought that was done. But that revelation, you know, I think really what it was, was that, well, yes, my journeying the earth travels had sort of completed. My trip wasn't over yet. My quest wasn't over yet. This was going to actually be the end of my quest. And, you know, I'm a big Star Wars guy. So it's, it's like that, you know, facing yourself in the cave, right? Facing that fear of judgment, this thing that's literally been just kryptonite to me my whole life. I'm like, no, fuck that, man. Like, I don't need to let this thing control me anymore. I don't need to be afraid of this. Like, I've just done so much cool shit. I have just done so much investing in myself. I have learned so much about myself. I have done things I never would have thought I would have done before. And now I've got a box, like what the hell? Like way harder than anything else, you know. But I mean, not for nothing, like you know, I climbed some pretty tall mountains. You know, I like I was like twenty thousand feet in the air in like Nepal having like like it's this is something I'm doing that like I'm excited about. And that moment was like everything was like kind of clicked into place. Like I had this this just moment of Zen where like all the the, the cosmic tumblers just clicked. I was like, ah, I wasn't done yet. And I'm not done yet. And I'm not gonna be done until tomorrow night once that final bell rings. All the other shit I had done, yes, it was four months of training as a boxer, but it was twenty months before that of of training myself, you know, for this this moment. And then I found like some peace in that. That's why I brought my travel journal to the fight that night because I just wanted to be able to reread all those little things I'd written to myself after Peru or after Bali. You know, there's just kind of revelations I had along the way about, you know, again, all of which pointed back to I love myself. I need to love myself. But in order to do that, I needed to get to know myself. I needed to learn how to trust myself. I needed to to go and push myself so that ultimately I don't have to be scared. I don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks of me. And listen, I've got I've got it all inside and I just have to trust that whenever I need it, it's going to be there. But you can't force it, you can't push it. I can't worry about it, but it's there and when I need it, it'll be there for me. And in round three, <laughs> there it was. <laughs> I think that's an important message to share to people too, who might be thinking about doing this is that you have everything that you need inside of you and you just got to figure it out and you can do it. You absolutely can do it. It is a challenge and you have to be, you have to be up for the challenge. There's no taking, you know, a playoff here and there. Like you gotta, this is a, this is a commitment. And if you want to give it your all, you've got to give it your all. Why should someone sign up to participate? That's easy. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it, it will be the most important and like gratifying thing you do. There's a very amazing byproduct of you just getting in awesome shape, right? Like that is, that's a really nice kind of side benefit. But I think at this day and age, like everybody knows either immediately or, or one degree of separation, someone that's been affected by cancer. And we need to find a cure for it, you know, at some point. And so organizations like this, activities like this to really kind of raise not just money, but awareness, you know, are so, so important. That's why it's like, hey, if you can't get in the ring as a boxer, come to the event, you know, find friends to come to the event, donate, you know, these are all, you know, aspects of, of you know, that's the fight, right? My fight wasn't against Greg. Our fight collectively is against cancer. That's why you do this. And again, do this means get in the ring a box or 
you know, participate in, in a different way. Fantastic answer. That was an absolutely fantastic answer. How has your involvement with the Haymakers organization continued after your participation in event, in event night? Well, uh, two ways. You guys are all very close friends of mine now, so I'm I'm super grateful just for that aspect of doing Haymakers. Is that like I got to meet you know you and Jordan and Mark and Andrew and the whole team, and you know I've I've gained you know, friends through this experience. In addition to the the guys I trained with and the, and the girls that I trained with, but I've been to the Boston events. You know, I volunteered up in Boston. I volunteered you know here in New York. We just were, we attended, you know, as, as actual <laughs> attendees, this, this, a uh, couple of weeks ago here in New York, we are always looking for, you know, like I said, I, uh, our football team is undefeated right now. There's been five of us. So we're looking for the, the next guy that we know to kind of hop in the ring to keep that streak going. Two years ago, one of our guys did Jerry Riley and, um, you know, and just trying to like, I want my friends to do this, right. Because then it becomes like this, this connective bond, that, like nobody else can understand, right. That, that you and I have gone through hell together, come out the other side, and, and only we really know what that's like. So just trying to, to raise awareness for the event, trying to recruit you know, new people I think would benefit from, from participation. And also, like again, with, with fundraising and trying to just, again, raise awareness to that aspect of this as well. But every event I've been to, every time I step in, every time I see a dark auditorium, you know, because I'm usually there early, with a spotlight shining on this boxing ring, like my heart skips and every moment from here on out. I mean, that's why I stay involved because again, there's that, that moment in time that can never be taken away from me. The proudest I've ever felt about myself that like the moment I've been happiest with, you know, my mom before, before she left us, that is all so tied to haymakers and yes, my event is done, but I will be at every haymakers, you know, as, as much as I can, I will promote, you know, you guys as much as I can. It's really just something that you have to attend to understand. Um, I just brought my wife this past couple of weeks for her first event and and she now can see me in, in a different way, right? She understands kind of what I went through. She could feel my emotion just being back in that building and watching the fighters and seeing the videos. That's it's just such a lovely organization that that I'm honored to be a part of still and doing a podcast like this. I'm so grateful for the friendships with all of you guys. And I just love it. And kudos to you guys for starting something that's just so special. And, you know, I am one of, you know, hundreds of people that have participated and I guarantee you every single person would tell the story the exact same way that I have. And that downstream effect the fighters have, you know, out in the world. I mean, it's just, it's exponential, the, the, the change that you guys are doing and the good that you guys are doing. So I, on behalf of all of them, and particularly on behalf of me and my mom, I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you. We're grateful for you. We're just grateful for your support and just really just your friendship. And as long as there's people who want to step in the ring and have this experience and raise money that's going to directly impact another person, we just got to keep going. Yep. And it takes a village. So we're all here for it. As we know, not every fight ends with the bell. Amen. <laughs> Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being here today. Like I said, it's, it's my pleasure. It's, it's an absolute honor. This is like, it's the most important thing I've ever done. And I, I say that in all seriousness, this is that moment in time is, is, is what I think will define me from, from here on out. So. <sighs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking the time to listen. We're grateful for your support. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the podcast and tell a friend. 
To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, sign up to fight to KO cancer, visit haymakersforhope.org. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented and produced by Haymakers for Hope in partnership with StudioPod Media. Our producers are former fighters Jordan McMillan and Julian Lewis. I'm Julie Kelly. And I'm Todd Buster Paris. You've been listening to Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell. 